Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be joined by Ara Ogurian, founder of ACAPAM, ACAP Asset Management. He's got over 26 years of experience in the financial services industry. He's also got some amazing credentials. Um, he was a commissioned bank examiner through the Federal Reserve. He's worked for the U.S. Treasury. Uh, we're going to go into all that in just a minute. Ara, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, all right, so let's dive right in. How did you get? St- You've been in the financial services industry a long time. How did you get started? Boy, I tell you, I got started at a very, very young age, even though when I was like maybe four or five years old, I knew I wanted to get into something related to investing or uh, business entrepreneurship. Uh, And I didn't really know much about investing until I got into high school when I took my first accounting course. And then at ninth grade, I was hooked and I took accounting ever since then, learned about finance afterwards. And in college, I graduated with a finance and and accounting degree. Awesome. And then how'd your career get started? Uh, well, in high school, when I was still taking accounting classes, I started becoming a bookkeeper for a local um, uh, construction company. And then from there, I parlayed it into a, um, an internship and a job at a uh, radio station here in LA called Money Radio. It no longer exists, but it was like the Bloomberg radio of its time, which was 24 hours a day uh, finance talk, which was the best thing ever. And then uh, from there, I moved up to San Francisco, uh, where I went to school. Uh, again, studying finance and accounting. I was a swimmer in college and then uh, I got a job. I was fortunate to get a job at the Federal Reserve where I was a, a bank examiner and I worked on the foreign banking department and I basically worked there for about 10 years. I uh, really enjoyed my time there and uh, that's really how I kind of jump started my career. Awesome. So you started out basically formally as a bank examiner and then I believe you became a diplomat as well. Yeah, I was a U.S. diplomat. That was definitely not on the uh, initial plan. Uh, however, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get a really amazing opportunity to go work for the U.S. Treasury as a U.S. diplomat in Eastern Europe. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, I was stationed in Yerevan, Armenia. Um, uh, with that position, I also got a chance to work in uh, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Georgia, uh, and also um, various other North African countries. And uh, I was an advisor for internal audits. So I would help them uh, transition from a centralized audit function that existed during the Soviet era to a decentralized audit function. 
Okay, so you saw some things at a macroeconomic level and a microeconomic level that most RIAs, most financial advisors never, never touch. How did you transition from that to being a CFA, a CFP, a CPA, and an enrolled agent, and obviously the founder of ACAP Asset Management? So that, that's a great question. Again, um, most of this stuff was, was planned because it's kind of embedded in my head uh, while I was in college or soon after college. So doing the, the, the U.S. Treasury and the diplomat route was really a, um, a, just an opportunity I couldn't, I couldn't give up because what I didn't mention is before I got that job opportunity, I was also admitted to graduate school uh, to get my MBA. And this was in 2005. And in hindsight, it was the best decision I ever made not to get my MBA because had I graduated in 2007, I would have had a boatload of debt and I would have been entering the worst job market in, in uh, US history at that time. So um, the initial goal was for me to go to uh, graduate school, get my MBA and then start my own RA at that time. But because I got this great opportunity with the US Treasury, I decided to take that, uh, build up some money, uh, and then give me the opportunity to be able to do it myself and, and start it without having to worry about taking a lot of debt. Okay, uh, great strategy. Obviously, of you know, you picked the timing perfectly. You founded ACAP Asset Management in 2009. Talk a little bit about how that's grown over the last 11 years. And obviously, you wear multiple hats because not only are you the founder, um, but you are also do you ever you are also an accountant and a certified financial planner. Usually, that's two job, two full time jobs. So, talk a little bit about how you've grown the firm first. Right. Well, before I kind of talk about how I grow, uh, grew the firm since 2009, I should also mention that I spent about 25% of my time in, in nonprofit work, uh, as well as some time spent on the board of directors of a bank. So my time is really stretched thin, although it doesn't take away from my time that I spend on my clients and the service that we provide for them. Uh, however, to answer your question, uh, we've grown tremendously since 2009. When I started in 2009, we were primarily a financial planning firm, investment management for our clients. But we found that a lot of our clients were really wanting that one-stop shop. They kept asking us, Hey, you know, do you know someone that can do our taxes for us? We have some tax questions and uh, we really need some advice on that. And having come from an audit background and an accounting background, I was able, able to provide them with that tax advice or accounting advice. But because I didn't have that, that CPA at that time, I was always referring them out to other CPAs. So about a couple of years into it, I realized that one of the best things we can do is provide that service for our existing clients because that way we can be a one-stop shop for them. So I went and took the CPA exam. I already had the work experience. I already had the, uh, the undergraduate degree with the education requirements. So then we started offering that a couple of years into it and that was the best decision we ever made. Okay, so why not, I'll play hindsight devil's advocate, why not hire a CPA to work for you as opposed to getting a, what is not an easy degree yourself? Uh, you know, I didn't think about that. That's a <laughs> good question. <laughs> uh, we uh, we do have CPAs now that, that work for us. Okay, our just so, making sure. Uh, say, you're uh, going to run out, according to my math, you ran out of hours in the day years ago. Right. Well, you know, I, I think like any RIAs and financial planning firms or any business in general, as you grow and, and start refining your practice, you start being selective on the types of clients you take. And that that's naturally happened to us as well. That's a perfect segue. So who are the types of, who are your ideal clients now? So that's a great question as well, because our ideal client has changed in 2020 than it was prior to 2020. 
So prior to this year, we uh, focused heavily on the healthcare market. So a high percentage of our clients are either physicians, medical groups, um, and, uh, hospitals, and really anyone under the umbrella of healthcare, that was our target market. And it still represents about 85% of our clients. So it's a high percentage already. But as of this year, we are we're shifting away from that. Um, most of our clients are professional service firms. Uh, they're small business owners. They're really anyone that is interested and motivated to and serious about saving for their retirement and they want to work with us. Okay, so how did you decide to make that shift? Uh, we started getting clients that were outside of our target market. So people will contact us, whether it was through a referral from an existing client or a center of influence or just um, a cold email from them. And they would say, hey, we're not in the healthcare industry, but can you help us out? Because we heard good things about you or you have great reviews. We want to see if we can work with you. So we decided why let that opportunity go and, and be able to work with those individuals as well. That makes a lot of sense. How are you bringing new clients in the door? How are you marketing the firm? Uh, a lot of it is through existing uh, clients. So we really cultivate our existing clients and have a lot of referrals. We have what we call internally as champions. Our champions are clients that routinely refer clients to us. So we try to stay close with them and, and let them know the ideal client for us. Uh, we also get clients through centers of influence. So centers of influence are uh, other professionals that we work with. It could be another CPA firm. It could be another RIA. Uh, but most of the time, it might be um, a realtor, a mortgage broker, really anyone in the professional industry that has a deep connection with their clients. Okay. So when you talk about cultivating your existing client relationships, are you doing something different from just doing a phenomenal job? How are you, are those organic referrals that they just call in and say, Hey, I want to introduce you to my buddy at work. He's retiring. Or are you doing something proactively to get the phone to ring? It's a little bit of both. So I think most RAAs or business owners that work closely with clients will realize that over time, your clients tend to be very similar in personality than you are. Because uh, we just like working with people that we like with, right? So that's just natural. And uh, what ends up happening is people that have the same interests that I do, uh, we end up doing things together, whether if it's for example, my wife and I like to go to the opera, so we'll go to the opera together. Or if I like to play tennis, I, I, and I do like to play tennis, a lot of my clients like to play tennis. So we'll either go to tennis tournaments together, or we'll play tennis, or we'll watch tennis. Uh, golf is another uh, example as well. Lately, I got into scotch drinking, so I'll have like scotch tasting parties at my house and invite clients over. So all those things are not only touch points, but they're just ways of staying in touch with my clients and people that I just like hanging out with. Absolutely. Now you're in Los Angeles, arguably probably the fourth most saturated city in the world in terms of financial advisors. How do you differentiate yourself? So we differentiate ourselves a number of different ways. The first one, as we've already talked about, is both being a financial advisory firm and a CPA firm that really sets us apart from most other advisory firms. The other is that we're fee only. So we don't work on a commission. We don't sell any product like most RIAs. So those are the two primary ways. And then the other is just also what I talked about is that personal relationship with clients. Uh, someone could be a great client for me, or I might be a great advisor for them. But just because of personality differences or uh, a variety of other reasons, I may not be the best suited person for them, or they may not be the best suited person for me. And we are not out there selling cups or pencils where the, we can sell thousands and thousands of these items in a year and still be able to... Uh, um, you know, service our clients. We are in a high touch business. So we can only service 
a certain number of clients. And at some point, there's going to be a point of saturation. If we serve any more than that, it's just not going to work out. Sure. You've achieved an incredible level of success so far. What would you say is the biggest challenge in between where you are and that next half a billion or billion dollar success mark in terms of AUM? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I'd say use of technology is one of them. This technology becomes more and more prevalent in our industry. In any industry, it's learning what technology or what software you need and what technology can help you kind of get to that point. Because I think as humans, we have a tendency to buy technology and shoehorn it into what we're trying to do. And sometimes that's not the best approach. I think the best approach is identifying what your, what your problem is and what you're trying to achieve and then trying to find a solution uh, software related to can help you get to that. So I think software is probably the best uh, example of a, um, a hurdle that we need to uh, bypass to get to that next level. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you do? Uh, working with clients. I absolutely love talking with clients. I love helping them out. I love when they're able to um, get that aha moment, whether if it's trying to buy a house or buying their second house or deciding whether uh, what type of a, um, a partnership arrangement they should have with a new partner they're trying to bring in. So it's really being that trusted advisor for the client. I absolutely love. What, uh, without giving any specific investment advice, we're not asking you to make any recommendations because you've done no due diligence on everybody in our audience. What are you talking to your clients about right now in terms of the current market environment? We're recording this during the height of the COVID pandemic, a couple months before the election. So right now, what we're telling our clients is to start building up some cash. We think that in the near term, uh, we do see additional volatility because personally, I feel that there's a disconnect with what's going on in Main Street and what's going on in Wall Street. Wall Street tends to be increasing on a daily basis as far as stock prices. But when we look at the, the raw data from economic numbers, we see that the numbers are not that great. Unemployment is still relatively high. You have a lot of businesses uh, closing down. You have a lot of layoffs. So, and then there's a lot of social unrest. So all those things, for me personally, lead me to believe that th there should be some more cash build up in portfolios. And we started to see this past week, we started to see some sectors actually go into a correction territory, which is 10% or more decline. All right. So what about the rest of the team? Because you can't do everything, even though you've already proven that you're kind of superhuman. Talk to us a little bit about the team structure you've got that's working with you. Well, I, I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I'll tell you, it's really all about the team. And I like to take a lot of credit for it. But in reality, it's my team that really helps me out. And we have a phenomenal team. Everyone really chips in when we need to. We're a small business, so we all wear different hats many times a day. Um, and it's really having the right people in place. And my philosophy has always been hire slowly, but fire quickly. So you want to take the time to make sure that the person you're hiring on is a right fit for your team. They've got to got, they have to be a cultural fit. We can always train them on many different aspects of how we do things, but if they're a cultural fit and they've got a good work ethic, that really, really, um, shows when we're talking to clients. Awesome. How many people are on your team and what roles are they in? So um, we just hired a few new people. So I think we're about six people, not including myself. And the different roles they play are, we have someone who's a, a planner that primarily just does financial plans. We have someone who does operations where they'll do onboarding of new clients. Uh, we have another person that primarily does trades. Uh, we have some person, we have another person that does the, the tax projections, the tax onboarding. We have someone also does just the, the bookkeeping and the payroll and the accounting for our clients. 
Uh, and then my partner, he um, also has a book of business that he manages for, for clients as well. Awesome. What else do you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Uh, I touched upon it earlier, but just my involvement in the nonprofit field. Um, uh, I didn't grow up be, uh, being involved in nonprofits. I, I got into it kind of by accident later on in life, but it's probably one of the best things I ever did. Uh, it's something that I try to teach my kids. I've got two boys that are 12 and 14 years old. Uh, I spend 25% of my time on it. I'm on the board of uh, three nonprofits. And uh, I Talk to us a little bit about that. Like what nonprofits are you on and what type of contributions other than just your time and expertise are you, not monetary, but what type of expertise are you lending them? And talk, so, tell us a little bit, promote the mission. Tell us about what their fantastic work they're doing. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I'll tell you about our, the, the main ones. So the main one that we're doing is called the Water Buffalo Club. It's based in LA. We like to think of ourselves as a venture capital fund for nonprofits in LA. So what we do is uh, if you're a nonprofit in LA County, which is re really huge, uh, and you focus on kids, you have to, be un have to be underserved kids. They have to be within LA County and they have to have a budget of less than $350,000. And the reason why we chose that budget amount is because those are the nonprofits that don't have the financial wherewithal or the capacity to go after larger grants. So they'll submit grant requests to us and they'll say, for example, we need a new truck to deliver food uh, in the summertime to kids who don't get food because they're not in school. Right. We go out there, we vet the charity, we're boots on the ground, we look at their numbers, we talk to the executive director, we see what they're doing. And then if they're a good fit for us, we provide funding for them. And it's a great way of getting actual dollars to these local charities that need it the most. That is absolutely fantastic. I've been working on a business model for a nonprofit where we will, our marketing firm will donate marketing services to help the nonprofit reach more people because what we found in our work, not as extensive as yours, but for the last 13 years working with uh, a small number of nonprofits is they don't have the budget or the mindset to think, hey, we need to be out there marketing. We should be have a website where you can take donations. We should have Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads. They don't think like a traditional small business would and right. they're missing out on a lot of opportunities. And then when they get educated in that mindset, they don't have the money and they think no donation goes straight to the food for the poor, for the kids. They don't think we need to grow the organization. They think it's all about grants. They don't think, hey, we could get a thousand donors at a thousand bucks a pop. Now we don't need to worry about a grant anymore. Right. And, and, and that's exactly who we're trying to target. And we want to get to the point where these nonprofits don't need our help anymore. And we've got several instances where we have basically provided the seed funding, <clears throat> excuse me, for these nonprofits. And now they've grown so huge, they're you know, 10 times the size of even our nonprofit. That is awesome. All right. For our folks who are, I know your time is incredibly valuable. We really appreciate it. For our folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about ACAP Asset Management and all things ARA, where should they go? They can go directly to our website. It's acapam.com. So Apple, Cat, Apple, Peter, Apple, Mary.com. Acapam for assetmanagement.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Ara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks to everybody for watching or listening. We'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 
727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch sheet. sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.